0: Good morning, church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with you this, this morning. Uh, you're going to need your Bibles this morning. We are uh, the, the assigned reading is uh, from uh, Luke chapter 21. I'm actually going to read that whole chapter, so I would like you to have that in, in front of you. During the four uh, weeks of Advent, I will be preaching through the lectionary text. I, I normally don't preach lectionary. Uh, but during Advent, I always preach the lectionary texts. Um, so, let, uh, and so our text this, this week comes from uh, Luke chapter 21. But as I was taking a look at that, I realized we actually need to read the whole, the whole chapter. So uh, if you can have that there in front of you. Those of you who are worried about the candle, it is lit. It's just a wee little, it's a wee little flame in there. Okay? You, can, you can take a look at it up close uh, later. So raise your hand. If you believe that the rapture will happen before the tribulation. Raise your hand if you think the rapture is going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. Raise your hand if you think the rapture is going to happen at the end of the tribulation. Raise your hand if you don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Alright? Here's the bonus question. Does Jesus arrive before or after the millennium? Before? After? Okay. All right. So uh, the, these are different views of the end times. There are you, you may have detected there's a variety of views uh, here in this in this congregation. Uh, during Advent, we look forward to the coming of, of Christmas, which is the first Advent when Jesus shows up for the first time. But in our preaching, we often focus on the second advent. Okay. Since the very earliest days, the churches always believe Jesus is coming back. Okay. This is a core uh, belief as Christians. You're not a Christian if you don't believe Jesus is not coming back. And by coming back, I mean physically and visibly. All right. Not just as like a spirit or something like that. Jesus will actually return to earth and he's going to have some things that he's going to be doing. All right. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the sequence of events that that happen at the end of time. Those of you who grew up in evangelical churches in the United States, as I did, you probably have a view that the, uh, that the rapture happens uh, just prior to the tribulation. Let me give you this sequence, and then we can talk about it a little bit. So this would be the pre-trib, pre-millennial view. And it goes something like this. Jesus was on earth. Uh, he uh, he dies, uh, is resurrected, and ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes, and then the church age begins. All right? And we're living in the church age, which is where we are right now. And then at some point, there's going to be what we call the rapture. Okay, uh, it's it's mentioned in First Thessalonians 4.16. The word rapture actually doesn't appear in the Bible. But there in Thessalonians, Paul talks about the saints being caught up to greet Jesus in the air. Okay, and it's part of Paul's uh, words of assurance to the church. Uh, the church that was beginning to be worried, well, maybe they had missed out, you know, some of the saints were beginning to die and then there was some concern about were, were, had they missed out on the promises, okay? And so there is, this, there is this event, we call it the rapture now, that's not a biblical word, but this this event in which the church comes from the earth to greet uh, the, the Lord who's returning to the earth. And, and in the pre-trib view of this, this happens in secret. Christians see it. The church sees it. But the world, the lost, don't see it. All right? And the way this is pictured is is that all of a sudden, mysteriously, all of the Christians are going to be gone from the world. All right? Cars will be empty. Airplanes will crash because the Christian pilots are no longer there. All right? This is the, the... So first there's the church age. Then there's the secret rapture. And then because all of the church has been removed from the earth... And the presence of the Holy Spirit has been extracted from the earth. The world then enters a seven-year uh, tribulation. Just terrible stuff is going on. Satan is just running rampant on, on planet earth. And then at the end of the seven years, Jesus returns. And this is the second coming. And he comes with all the saints. Okay, They, go, they all come back to earth in this grand uh, return to the earth. And then at that point, the millennium begins. And then Jesus, with all of his saints, is going to rule the earth for 1,000 years. We call that the millennium. And then at the end of the millennium, there's a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, this is the view that that I would have grown, that I grew up with. Um, uh, This is called uh, pre-millennial dispensationalism. It's a pre-trib, pre-millennial view. Okay, so... um, I don't know which view you have. Um, I think probably for many of us, that's the one that's most familiar to us. Um, when I arrived here, there, uh, used to be, uh, rattling around in our building, uh, old, uh, Schofield Bibles. Our, uh, our Pew Bible was the Schofield Bible. And, uh, a man, you know, this, this man by the name of Schofield had, uh, Written a Bible, he didn't write the Bible, but he wrote a series of notes for the Bible, and the the notes describe this view that that uh, I just that I just presented there. So let's let's turn now to Luke, uh, because here we're going to see Jesus talking about uh, about the end, and you might want to think, you know, see what kind of clues you can pick up from Jesus's description about how this is going to unfold. Um, and then actually I'm going to do it from this sheet here and then we'll talk a little bit more okay now as we're reading through this I want you to be looking at clues for the historical sequencing what's happening when think about who's present is the church present or is the church not present during this particular scene okay and I also want you to to notice uh Instructions. Okay, there's, there are going to be times when Jesus is sort of just describing how things are, but then every once in a while he'll stop and he'll say, "And this is what you need to do." Okay, we call that the imperative voice. All right, it's a commandment. All right. So, and and the reason why I want you to think about those places of instruction is is because our Christian teaching needs to guide us in what we're doing. All right. We can we you know we can be fascinated by what's going to happen in the end times. We can speculate about what's going to happen in the end times. We can study this stuff, but if it doesn't change how we live, then we probably miss the point, okay? And so in this passage, we'll see a few places where in the midst of his description of what's going to happen, Jesus also then gives some instruction, okay? So here we go. I'm just going to begin right at the top of Luke chapter 21. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty." for she put in all that she had to live on. Okay, so the scene opens with this very familiar story of the, of the widow with the widow's mites. Jesus is in the temple courtyards as he regularly was. This is just an ordinary day in the teaching life of Jesus. And we have this familiar scene. Verse 5. While some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned, with noble stones and offerings. Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Okay, now we hear a little voice from, I don't know if it's from the disciples or for some people that Jesus is talking to there, but they're curious. I think curiosity about how divine history is going to unfold is natural. We want to know what's coming, all right? And so they're curious, and so Jesus says, see that you are not led astray, instruction number one, okay? See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, the time is at hand. Do not go after them, instruction number two. And when you hear of wars and tumults, don't be terrified, instruction number three. For these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Verse 10. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, the terrors and the signs in the heaven, before all these things they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Okay. Now that last little description there that Jesus offers, that they will lay hands on you, that they'll persecute you, that's what we've seen in the Acts of the Apostles. All right, we've been through the Acts of the Apostles. That's exactly what happened. The church grew, they started getting persecuted. One of the results of the persecution was that Uh, These Christians were hauled up in front of people who were hugely powerful and important that they would have never had an opportunity to speak to before. Apostle Paul goes all the way to stand in front of the most important man on the planet, the, the Roman emperor, and Jesus predicts it here. These things are going to happen. Those things did happen. Verse 14, and here we have another instruction. Settle it, therefore, in your minds... Not to meditate beforehand how to answer. How to answer the charges. You've been hauled into court. How am I going to answer it? You're not, you're not going to develop a legal strategy. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand and contradict. Because that's another little instruction to the church. To not be strategizing about how to save your skin... When the world comes to persecute you. right? A lot of Christians get all bent out of shape about the persecution that's going on in the world, and we think, oh, this is horrible. The world is, you know, the world is an awful place, but this is precisely what Jesus said was going to happen. And Jesus' instruction in the face of the persecution of the world is don't worry about it. Don't even think of a defense. I'm going to give you the words that you need in the moment. Verse 16. You will be delivered up, this means to death, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. Now, this is a little mysterious, this passage, and maybe it sounds like there's a contradiction. Because on the one hand, Jesus says that, you know, not a hair is going to perish from your head. But on the other hand, he's saying that some of you are going to die. We know, of course, that many Christians died. Verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its destruction has come near Then let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it. That was a little bit of instruction there, what to do. When when the armies surround the city, get out, get out of there. You're going to notice that in this scene, the church is present in the city. And the instructions are, when the armies come, Get out. Or if you're out in the countryside, don't come back in. Just get out of it. Just scatter. Verse 22. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for the the women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against the people they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled now of course the destruction of Jerusalem happened in 70 AD at some point the Romans just got fed up with those troublesome Jews and they just went in there and they just wrecked the place and they tore the temple down all right. So that piece of the prophecy has already already happened. Alright. And in the destruction of Jerusalem, many Christians then scattered, I mean Jews scattered as well. This is the beginning of the great diaspora, but people just they just they just went every other every other which way. Verse 25. And this is where the reading was supposed to start. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. And on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. There's something cosmic going on here. We think of Jesus as coming to us to save us from our sins which of course is true. But there's there's a larger redemption that's going on here. The Bible says that the whole of creation is groaning, all right? The, the whole thing is going to undergo this battle. There's a struggle of cosmic proportions that is going on here. It's it's rattling the planets and and the sun as well and the sea. Alright? Verse 27, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Well, that's what we're looking for right there. That's that's what we're waiting for. It's been a while since Jesus left and we're waiting for Him to come back. And He can come back at any point. Right? Everything that needed to be fulfilled prior to the return of Christ has been done. Any day can be the day of of His return and He will, he will appear in, in clouds with power and great glory. He was received up into the heavens in clouds and He's going to come down in the clouds as well and we will all see these things. Now when these things begin to take place, here's another instruction. Straighten up and raise your heads. All right, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable look at the fig tree and the other trees. As soon as they come out in leaf and see for yourself and know that the summer is already near, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This line there in verse 32 caused some perplexity for the church. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. There were those in the early church who thought that they wouldn't die before Jesus returned. There was an expectation in that first generation that they would still be around to see Jesus come back. And as time went on, you begin to see a rising perplexity in the church. And so God speaks through the apostles to the situation that, oh, actually, there's something else else going on here. All right? Um, John Calvin has a very interesting interpretation of this parable of the fig tree. And it goes something like this. He says, you know, in the springtime, the, the vegetation is soft and pliable, but in the wintertime, it's hard. It's soft and it's pliable also makes it Vulnerable. In the winter, it's hard and impervious to what's going on, to the harsh weather. But in the springtime, it begins to bud and it begins to open up and the sap begins to flow, actually making it vulnerable to injury. And and Calvin concludes from this, and this is speculative, that in the very vulnerability of the church, in the very softness of the church, is its fruitfulness and its productiveness. Rather than being behind stone walls and well-protected like a tree in winter, it's actually when the church is open and soft to the environment that it's doing what it needs to do. Instruction, the final instruction here is in verse 34. But watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth when Jesus returns, everybody's going to know it but stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man so we've talked about this before the day of the Lord is a mixed, mm, it's a mixed, I was going to say a mixed blessing. It's a mixed thing. On the day of the Lord, there's judgment and there's destruction. But on the day of the Lord, there's also Redemption. Okay, on the day of the Lord, God comes to redeem his people, but on the day of the Lord, God also shows up to destroy those who have opposed God's people. Alright? When Jesus returns, it's going to be a day of celebration for some in the world. It's going to be a day of weeping and gnashing of teeth for others in the world. Alright? Those who are in Christ will receive Christ with great. Joy and glory on, the, on that day when He shows up. Those who are outside of Christ, they will have missed their opportunity, and all they will then face uh, is judgment, and it will be it, it will be for them a time of a time of terror. And so, when uh, when Jesus talks about escaping these things, He's talking about escaping the judgment uh, on the day of the Lord. We who are in Christ will not be uh, condemned; uh, rather, we will simply be redeemed. And verse thirty-seven is the bookend to this, and every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. The little bookends there tell me. So the, the bookend begins with, on the one side, with uh, this story of Jesus commenting on the widow and, and her donation of the two two little copper coins. He's he's just there in the temple. This is everyday Jesus, and on this particular day, he's talking about the, the signs uh, of the end of time. He's going to he prophesies the destruction uh, the destruction uh, of the temple. So here in this Advent season, we prepare uh, our homes and ourselves for the coming of Christmas. Yesterday at our house, uh, we we set a new record at our house for how early the tree came out. So you know, in my in my family, uh, you know, we would often delay getting the tree as long as possible because it, they would get cheaper as you got closer to Christmas. Okay, trees are very expensive. I can tell you at this time of year. All right? and when we lived at seminary we had this great system where the there were the seminaries we we would remain on campus during the Christmas holidays but uh, other people would go away for Christmas and so their trees would go into the dumpster which we could then just get for nothing all right so w- this year, we, we, we got it. We got it yesterday. We put it up, and, and we pulled out all of the, 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 the boxes of decorations that we have down in the basement and decorated the house. We have not yet decorated the tree. Well, there are two little things on there, but we haven't fully decorated the tree. We went and, you know Rosie to come around and you know, tell us where everything needed to go. So, but this is part of the prep season of preparation. And the church historically has also used the Advent season to remind itself you know you need to be prepared for the second coming of Jesus all right now in a certain sense you could preach on the second coming of Jesus every sunday i mean every sunday you know could be the last sunday that we spend together in church all right that it's always a possibility but during the advent season the church historically has has used this as a time to focus on the doctrine of the of the second coming I'm just going to go back to. Uh, well, I'm going to talk about two things. For those of you who are not yet in Christ, you've heard the gospel, you sort of understand it, you're sitting on the fence about it, you haven't, you haven't committed to Christ, you haven't repented or turned to Christ for your forgiveness the only the only uh, instruction for you is you need to do that like right away okay if you're not yet in christ get yourself in christ all right if you understand the gospel but haven't responded to it do it like do it do it today like become a christian today all right because there will when jesus when jesus shows up there's going to be a dividing of the sheep and the goats all right and when jesus shows up there won't be another opportunity to get right with god the time to get right with god is now we don't know when jesus is going to return and when jesus does return the time to get right with god is is done all right so for those of you who've not yet been converted who not yet become a christian do it and you can you can do that today if you don't know how uh, you can talk with me after the service for those of you who are already converted, for those of you who have repented of your sins and and have placed your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation the instructions I think for you are in verse 34 Watch yourselves lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation. We don't really use that word so much anymore but that's just kind of like there's collecting and there's dissipating. Sometimes we do that with money we're throwing money around Sometimes we do it with partying. Sometimes we do it with being involved in stuff that we shouldn't be involved with. Okay. Dissipation is kind of like, uh, uh, spreading out of yourself in a way that, uh, violates the boundaries that are, should be around yourself. Dissipation, drunkenness. Okay. We're Christians. We shouldn't be drunk. And the cares of this life. What does that mean? Sometimes people's concern about their careers and their business trumps their concerns about God and the kingdom of God. If there are things that are distracting us from what is most important in our lives, then we need to stop that. Notice what Jesus says there. Watch yourselves lest this happens. In other words, he knows that this is a natural tendency. The natural tendency of people is to get uh, sucked into all of this stuff that's going to be distracting them from what's core and what's essential. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Some of us are going to be saved, but a little bit embarrassed when Jesus shows up. We don't know when he's going to show up. What are you going to be doing when he shows up? Those of you who have a, you know, a boss who's out of the office, every once in a while the boss drops in on the office, ah, surprise, and you try to look busy. I've seen that bumper sticker. Jesus is coming, look busy. All right? I think this is what what Jesus is saying. Is be, Stay focused on the things that are important and don't get distracted by the things of this world. Stay awake at all, at all time. All right? So if you've not yet come to Christ, come to Christ. I mean, Advent season is a great time to come to Christ. And then you'll celebrate Christmas. It'll be the first real Christmas for you. All right. If you already are in Christ, then use this time to be focused and centered on the things that are important. It's actually a, a pertinent message during the Advent season because it is the time of year when we do get kind of crazy busy with stuff. Settle down. Slow down. Listen to what it is that God wants you to be doing uh, in your life. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and we adore you. And uh, we thank you that you're coming back. You're coming back for your church. We thank you that you've given us... uh, instructions about how we're to be conducting ourselves uh, on that day when you arrive. Lord, I pray that our eyes and our ears would be focused on you, that we would be caught up with the things that matter, with the things that count. And Lord Jesus, for those who have not yet come to you, uh, Lord, I pray that you uh, continue to round them up. I pray that you would be the good shepherd to those who were still kind of wandering around. Lord, bring home the people of your flock. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come quickly. We pray this in your name. Amen.